So everybody hurts. One of the greatest little phrases that Jesus Christ said that I am so grateful that's in the Bible is when he said, in this world, you will have trouble. So Jesus was never trying to skirt the issue, man. He never said, hey, if you believe in me, everything will just get rosy and, and get good. He said, no, in this world, you're going to have trouble. And the song is true, everybody hurts sometimes. And I don't know if there's any other topic <clears throat> that causes us to believe that we have a God who doesn't make sense than when we start talking about pain and suffering and sorrow in this world. So today, um, we're going to look at that. We're going to look at what happens, how does Jesus come to us when we're in our deepest sorrow, when we're suffering? And then also, we're going to see some practical stuff about how we can actually come alongside each other. And how can we do that in a healthy way when people are in their hard times? Because here's what I know is true, is... Um, some of you are there today. <laughs> in fact, people came up to me after the first service going, unbelievable <laughs> that this was the message today. And maybe some of you are in a really dark place today and you just feel really sorrowful. If you're not, <laughs> if you didn't walk in with that today, I guarantee you, right, you know somebody who is. <laughs> and maybe today's for you or maybe today is the time for you to be an agent of God's grace to somebody else. Now, here's what I know is true, right? I've sat with this message all week long, um, spent tons of hours on it, but you're walking in cold cocked, right? You, you just maybe had a nice breakfast and you're going, geez, downer, you know, at church today. Or you were crazy with your kids trying to get them settled in. And, and, um, but let me just kind of shift real quickly here. I want you to simply think about a time when you wept. When did you weep? When was a time when you just found yourself in deep sorrow. And yes, that means all of you men who nobody else knows you did it, but behind closed doors, right? You actually let yourself feel. For me, immediately, as soon as I asked me, myself that question, it was the time when I was 22 years old, two weeks into my first job, and my brother called me up and told me that my mom had two months to two years to live as they diagnosed her cancer. Now, there was one person on this planet at that time that I knew loved me, and that was my mom. And I remember, man, I walked to my apartment, I shut that door, and I just screamed at God, you can't take my mom! And then I wept. And then two and a half years later, I wept when he took my mom. I also know, for me, I have wept at different times when I faced rejection. Anybody ever feel, you know what's weird for me? Sometimes I've actually had rejection hit so deeply at times that it physically hurt. Have anybody ever else felt that? Have you ever had physical pain from rejection? Mine is weird. Uh, it hasn't happened many times, but sometimes it feels cold and literally physically prickly when it gets that intense. Failed over, fa or wept over failure, wept over loss of relationships, and I knew Entering into this day, in fact, on Wednesday when I was working on this, there were three times while I was prepping, I just had to put my notes down and just go, God, do we really have to go here? Because here's what I know. Any time, already, already in the first three and a half minutes, some of you, your issue of sorrow and deep pain has already arisen. And in a room like this, there is so much abuse that has been suffered in this room. 
physical, emotional, sexual, spiritual abuse. There's so much pain, physical pain, that you've been through, through different illnesses. Some of you have wept because you lost a job. Some of you have wept because you lost all your finances and you felt like your whole life was falling apart. It's interesting because so much of weeping happens around loss or pain, but I would say most deep pain happens from loss of relationship. And there can be all different levels. For sometimes, it's just when, when you're going through unresolved conflict. Maybe some of you are there right now. You're in a relationship, but it's not working, and you've wept because you're fearful, and it hurts what you're going through. Sometimes when people just move, <laughs> tears flow because you're not going to be in my life anymore. Or breaking up, or divorce, or death. And here's what I know. In our story, what you're going to see, Mary and Martha, they both say the same thing. And they say, Jesus... If you had been here, if you had been here, and I know this, man, when you experience the hardship and the injustice of this world, we say the same thing, don't we? Where were you? And when we look at this whole issue, if everyone hurts, does that include Jesus? Everybody hurts sometimes. Does Jesus hurt too? And I want to tell you, I read this passage uh, last year, and I sat with it, and I was shocked at the emotion that we're going to look at today. And I think Jesus is going to surprise you. He surprised me. In Isaiah 53.3, it says that he was despised and rejected. He's a man of sorrows. He's acquainted with the deepest grief. All right? So let's pray. And I'm going to pray for you. And again, you open up your own heart, whether you need this message today or whether God might be able to equip you to be an agent of healing to a friend, or you know this, if you're not in it now, your day's coming, right? And maybe he'll be able to equip you and get you ready for it. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you that you don't, you do not skip past the hard things in life. If there's anything about you, you dive right into the middle of them. I thank you for your word, which reveals who you are, reveals who we are and what life is supposed to be like. I thank you that we get to dive in today. And then, God, I, I worship you this morning because I know this. I know you love every person in this room. And I ask in the name of Jesus that your sweet spirit might minister to every heart no matter where we're at today. And may you be a God of hope on this day. And may your word and your spirit in this room make you so palpable, so real that we knew we heard from a living God who can help me in my sorrow. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So you saw the story, you read the story. If you're, if you're new, if you're just joining in, if you haven't been in the series with us, um, we're in a series called God, A God Who Makes No Sense. And we're going into John chapter 11. So if you want, if you want to grab your Bibles, uh, we also have a K2 app. If you haven't downloaded that, I encourage you, download our app. Every scripture, all my notes are on that app, and you can follow that every Sunday. Um, pull it up online, do whatever you want. But it's the story of Lazarus. It's a story of a man who died, who Jesus brought back to life. And, um, and where we're at in the story is he's finally showing up on the scene, okay? And he interacts with Mary and Martha, the two sisters of Lazarus. 
And what I want to look at you in this, in this day is we're going to look at how Jesus comes into our sorrow. All right? And here's the first thing that we find. That Jesus comes with truth and tears. Jesus comes into our hardest moments with truth and tears. So you got these two sisters, Mary and Martha. And if you've ever, if you read the Bible and you follow their story, they're hilarious, right? Because Martha is always working. She's always like high intense person. She's, she's got everything in order and she's busy, busy, busy. And Mary, Mary, she's just hanging out, right? She's always at Jesus' feet, just kind of chilling. And, and it's so funny to me because how many of you parents, you have kids that are 180 from each other and you have kids that are completely the opposite. That is me, man. My girls could not be more different than each other. And that's what we find here with these two sisters, Mary and Martha. So the first person Jesus runs into is Martha. And it's, in, it's actually in John chapter 11, verse 21. And, and, and it says here, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. And then they continue to dialogue. And Jesus says, your brother will rise again. And Martha answers, I know he'll rise again at the resurrection of the last day. And then in verse 25, Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? See, so Jesus, when he runs into Martha, he meets her with truth. For any of you uh, Myers-Briggs people, I'm pretty sure that Martha had to be like an STJ, right? She's just looking at what's happening. She's thinking about it, and she's making judgments. And she's like, Jesus, I know this, man. And Jesus comes back, well, I know more than you. <laughs> and then he goes, and here's what I know. I am the resurrection and the life. And if anybody would believe in me, they shall never perish. They'll never die. Do you believe this? So he meets her with truth in the midst of her despair. I'm going to tell you, I've said this so many times, and I'm going to say it again. When I'm in my darkest time, if you meet me, please just tell me the truth. That's what I need. The last thing I need is for you to try to fix me. Can I just hear an amen to that one? Don't try to fix me. Just tell me the truth. And that's what Jesus does when he runs into Martha. Now it's interesting, and then Martha goes and gets Mary. And then in verse 32 it says, Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Word for word, same phrase. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And Jesus did what? And then he wept. So Jesus met Martha with truth, but he met Mary with tears. See, when he looked and he saw this sweet, and again, if you're a Myers-Briggs person, this would be, Mary's the NFP. She's intuitism, she's feeling, and she's just, she's just go with the flow. And he looks over at Mary and she's weeping. And he didn't look at her and go, Mary, I'm the resurrection and the life. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? He didn't look at Mary and go, Mary, stop crying. Can I just tell you, how many of you have been weeping and somebody comes up and he goes, stop crying. Don't you just want to slap them? 
Aren't you grateful that when Jesus saw Mary weeping, he didn't, marry, he didn't go, hey, Mary, stop, just stop crying because really, just wait for a second. It's going to get really good. No. He met her with tears. And here's what you need to know about Jesus. Okay? Jesus is the God-man. He's the son of God. He's the son of man. He's fully God and he's fully human. And when he revealed the heart of God, here's what we find. I'm telling you, Jesus is exactly what you need when you're suffering. Because he is the one who can come with infinite knowledge and infinite power. And at the same time, he comes with infinite compassion he, with Martha, he speaks of his triumph and he confronts her because she's, I know, I know, I know. And he goes, no, you don't know, Martha. I'm the resurrection of the life. He comes and lets her know I'm so much greater than you know. I'm going to confront your faith. And then with Mary, he doesn't, he speaks instead. He, in fact, he doesn't speak. He's just weak himself. He's troubled in his spirit and he flows in tears with her. That's who God is. And he wants to meet you with truth to help you to understand, but he wants to minister to your heart and just weep with you. Now, let me get real practical for us here in a minute. Because many of us in this room, we're fixers. How many of you are fixers? Okay, got a lot of fixers. How many of you are feelers? You're more feel, right? So here's what we know. Be careful, okay, if you're a fixer. Because if you only come with truth and no comfort, Usually all that does is resolve in anger and people don't even want to listen to you. But if you are a feeler and you only come with tears, then you bring no hope into the situation. And then you just leave people in despair. Man, I want to tell you what, man. If you're a fixer, don't try to take away people's tears with your answers. Lots of, right? And we've all been there. It is really, really hard when you enter in with someone you love and they're in a dark moment and they're suffering. You want to just, you want to help so bad. You just want to stop it. And you think your answers are going to stop it. And Christians are the worst because we got scripture, right? And we're like, just believe this and believe this and believe this. And people are like, just shut up, right? Now, that's part of it. Don't try to fix them with your answers and don't tell them to stop crying. But at the same time, if you're only a feeler, because sometimes feelers are like, you know what, I don't even have any answers. And so what we do is we just sit there and we'll just, we'll just weep with you. But if that's the case, if we can never provide any truth, then we can't bring any hope. And we just leave our friends sitting in despair. You guys see how this works? So what happens is it, if here's where Jesus provides us the perfect model. When you come alongside someone, you sit in them, with them in their tears, but then you provide the truth. And when you can do both of those things, then you're moving closer to Jesus. All right? How does he enter into your darkest times? With truth and with tears. Number two, Jesus comes with anger and empathy. And this is the passage that just blew me away. This is so fascinating to me. When Jesus saw Mary weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. 
And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And then Jesus wept. Now let me tear this apart a little bit for you. In verse 33, when it says that he saw them weeping, this word for weeping is wailing. It's a loud expression of grief and pain. In that culture, when there was a death, this was very normal. It could be, it could be it was serious. You would just hear these wails and screams of crying. And it says that when Jesus saw that going on, it says he was deeply moved in his spirit. And every commentator I read, every scholar I looked up, every pastor I listened to, this is such an interesting word. That deeply, mo deeply moved means to be painfully moved. You feel pain inside, and it means anger. It's actually an indignation. It's interesting, the word means the snort of a horse. Isn't that a great word picture? You can just see, so in other words, when Jesus was witnessing this, something was rising up in his spirit that was like a snort of a horse, and he was getting angry. And then it says, he was getting greatly troubled. And what's interesting, that word means to be agitated. Right? It means to be going like this, which it came to mean a total lack of peace. So in the midst of this moment, Jesus is getting agitated inside, and he's losing his peace, and he's snorting like a horse with anger. Now, that's very interesting to me. And then it leads him ultimately to weep. Now, what's interesting about Jesus weeping is that word is a different word than the first one. Jesus weeping is not the loud expressions of grief. The word simply means to shed tears. It was, it was the word you would use for quiet weeping. So Jesus wasn't wailing, but he had tears coming down his face. Now here, listen, listen, here is why I think he doesn't make any sense to me. He's snorting like a horse with anger. He's agitated inside. He's losing his peace, and he's weeping. And if you remember the story, he's the one who caused all this in the first place. He's the one that when Mary and Martha said, Jesus, Lazarus, the one you love is sick, come. He goes, eh, I think I'll hang out here for a few more days. He caused Lazarus' death, and he's the one who's feeling all of this emotion. And even more so, he knows in about 15 minutes, he's going to raise him from the dead. <laughs> now, if you knew that you were going to raise Jesus from the dead, why in the world are you weeping? Does that confuse anybody else? This is so good. Why was he so deeply moved? And I want to tell you right now, it's not because he was angry with them. Some people will think that. I think he was angry at Mary and Martha because they should have believed that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And you just go, whoa, 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 what? <laughs> Who would have ever thought? Who would have ever had any, any mental thought that Jesus was ever going to raise this guy from the dead? So he's not angry with them. Every, this was such a great week. And this is so important for us. I think he was so disturbed inside because he hates to see those he loves experiencing the pain of sin. And he hates the darkness of our misunderstanding. Let me pull those apart. I think Jesus was angry at death and he was angry at sin that produces it. 
and he was angry at all of the sorrow that's there. B.B. Warfield is a scholar, and he said this, it is death that is is the object of his wrath, and behind death, him who has the power of death, and whom has come into the world to destroy. Tears of sympathy, sympathy may have filled his eyes, but this is incidental. His soul is held by rage. You guys, Jesus, when he sees the things that are wrong and the suffering and the sin that causes it and the death, it agitates him. He snorts like a horse, but here's what you got to understand. He's not angry at you. He's not angry at you. Even if you're the one who has got yourself into that mess, he's angry at the one who enslaves you, at the one who blinds you, at the one who now, maybe even today, has dominion over you. He's angry at the one who's seeking to steal and kill and destroy your life. And I think in that moment, Jesus started weeping because he was like, this is not how it's supposed to be. I hate sin. I hate death. I hate everything that's happening here. And I hate that those I love have to go through this. Secondly, I think Jesus also, though, was angry in a way at the darkness of, under, of, of understanding that produces no hope. And again, I don't think he was angry at them, but here's what he knows. Every time you and I don't believe something, the Bible says it's because we have a spiritual war going on right in here that darkens our mind so we don't understand the truth. And I think Jesus hates the fact that you and I suffer in so many ways because we have a darkness of understanding of what reality really is. Another scholar, Lightfoot, says this. Those around Jesus regard darkness and death as being in control of the situation. And the strain upon him finds expression in an outburst of tears. I think Jesus was going, oh, you guys, yes, this is so wrong, and we all should weep, but also you need to know the truth in this situation. There's something greater here. This is not the end, and you don't know that. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, Paul says, we grieve, but not like those who have no hope. So we still grieve, but not like those who have no hope. Man, I want to tell you, yesterday I sat in this auditorium for two and a half hours, right up there with my wife Susie, at Eric Van Rees' funeral. And if you don't know who Eric is, Eric was a pastor here down at Adventure Church in Draper. Unbelievable man. And I'm telling you, you sat through his funeral, that, or it was a celebration of his life is what it was. And it was unbelievable. Susan and I left, and I'm like, can you believe the poise that his wife had? All of his kids, four kids, they all got up and they sang songs. And they shared up here. And over and over again, people shared. Jody stood right there, his wife, with hands lifted high. And she got up to speak, and she goes, I know some of you may be going, why are you not grieving? And she's like, believe me, I'm grieving, but not like those who have no hope. And I'm telling you, it was so different. This situation, knowing I was going to speak on this message, where these people four days later are wailing, and these people in 2016 were celebrating. Now, they wept, they grieved, but not like those without hope. You guys, I think Jesus was angry 
because he wants us to know there's hope. And I want to tell you, a righteous anger leads to tears. And and that's why I know he wasn't angry at them. To have tears flowing down his face meant that his indignation wasn't towards them. They weren't tears of wailing, they were tears of love. And and that's why I love this. Look at this verse. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. It says, now, that would be for you and me today, we do not have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weakness. For he faced all of the same testings that we do, and yet he didn't sin. Guys, this verse is so important. Jesus, while he was here, experienced every testing that we do. And even as he went through the suffering, right, he was a man of sorrows. Nobody was rejected like Jesus. Nobody suffered more unjustly. No human ever will ever suffer more unjustly than Jesus did. And in the midst of all of his suffering, and in the midst of all of his pain, in the midst of being nailed to the cross, want to talk some pain? He never sinned. And what's amazing is he never got angry at the people. He never got angry at God. And that's why Jesus was able to be in darkness and sorrow with no sin because he never stopped believing. It's unbelievable. So what does that mean for us today? Look at the next verse. This is such an important verse. Write this one down, put it in your back pocket. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. You guys, you can cry out to God now and Jesus is ready to help you in your moment, to give you mercy, to give you grace, to be one who says, I know what it is to be angry toward things that aren't right. I know what it is to be agitated in my spirit. I know what it is to weep. And I can give you the strength to do all those things and never sin. Can I just ask you, how many of you need some help when you're in your darkest moment? How cool would it for you to know that you can go to him and help you? Now, let's close with this last point. How can that be true? How can this be reality for me? And here's what we see. Is that Jesus comes, when he comes, he comes with authority and he comes with sacrifice. He comes with authority and sacrifice. In John chapter 11, verse 38 so here's what's happened, right? He shows up, Mary's weeping, he, starts, he gets fired up, and then he starts weeping with them, and then he says, where's the body? And they tell him where it is, and then verse 38 says, and then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. So what happens? So Jesus, all of a sudden, his tears, because he's weeping, right? But now his tears move back to anger. And here's, got, here's, what, here's what I gotta tell you. I need a God, right, who doesn't just weep. Anybody else? (laughs) Don't you want a God who doesn't just weep, but he actually, a God who can do something about it. 
And what we find is he weeps with them, but then he gets deeply moved again. He's snorting like a horse again. And what happens is it moves him to go to the tomb. And I want to tell you, man, when he shows up at the tomb, this is every good movie you have ever watched. Right? I'm serious. This is William Wallace with his face painted. Right? This is the gladiator. This is the man on fire. Right? How many of you saw that movie? This is Liam Neeson in Taken. <laughs> I'm telling you, I, I tried. I searched. I couldn't find anything. What I wanted, because we've all seen it, every good movie has the hero finally face to face with the enemy. And he's like this. right? This is that moment in the story. And I want to tell you what B.B. Warfield put it this way. He goes, his soul is held by rage and he advances to the tomb, in Kelvin's words again, as a champion who prepares for conflict. So he goes to the tomb and here's what's interesting. It was a cave, that's how their tombs were, and had a stone that was laid against it. As I sat with this message today, or this week, prepping for you, here's what I feel like God wants to tell you. I believe that Jesus, deeply moved, wants to come to your tomb. Some of you walked in here today, and your heart is like a tomb. It's empty. It's dark. There's no life inside of you. If there's anything in you, you're filled with anger. Some of you are filled with bitterness because of what's happened to you. Some of you got so much, some of you are so filled with fear. And I want to tell you, this story tells you that when Jesus sees wrong things, he snorts like a horse and he gets agitated in his spirit and he weeps. But then he rises up again with anger and he comes to the tomb. And this morning, man, he wants to walk to your tomb. And yes, you have put a stone in front of your heart because you don't trust anybody again. But Jesus is the one who says, let me in. And then he says these beautiful words. He simply said, take the stone away. And this morning, some of you, he wants to take your stone away. And you need to know that when he comes into your sorrow, he comes as someone with authority. He, he, it's like Jesus got there and he said, all right, enough is enough, man. The sorrow is about to end and the glory of God is about to be displayed. He said to Martha, who knows everything, right? In verse 40, he says, did I not tell you, Martha, that if you believe, you will see the glory of God. Does anybody want to see the glory of God? Yes, you do. And here's what he does. He stands there, they roll away the stone, and in a loud voice, he cries out, Lazarus, come out. And because he's Jesus, who has all authority, a dead man for four days walks out of the tomb. That is amazing. Now, can Jesus take away the stone? which has kept you dead in your sorrow. Can Jesus redeem your pain and your sorrow? And how can you know, how can you know that he loves you? And this is why he didn't just come with authority. 
in that moment, he came with sacrifice. This is fascinating. See, here's what Jesus knew. He knew if he raised Lazarus from the dead, that he was sealing his own death sentence. He knew if he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, that he was securing his own death. How do we know that? Because right after he raised Lazarus from the dead, it says that many of the Jews believed. Oh, my goodness. This man has authority over death. But those who didn't believe, they ran and they told the religious leaders. And it says the religious leaders said, we've got to stop this man. And then in verse, uh, verse 53, it says, so from that day on, they plotted to take his life. See, I like how Tim Keller said it. He goes, when Jesus stood at the tomb, it's like he had a dialogue with death. And death said to him, you do this, Jesus, and you're going to die. You touch me, and I will touch you. You bring Lazarus out, and I will bury you down. And it's like Jesus, in his best Liam Neeson voice, said, bring it on. And so what happened? He raises him from the dead. And immediately, the plot for his death begins. And here's how you can know today that Jesus loves you. And he wants to help you in this world where we all have trouble. Because in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, it says this is how we know what love is. That Jesus Christ would lay down his life for us. See, he knew if I raise him from the dead, I'm dead. And he more than willful to do that. And that's how we can know what love is. And so what Jesus did, he says, I would gladly sacrifice my life for all of you. See, here's what Jesus knew, right? He got to interrupt that funeral. He got to walk into that funeral and say, this funeral's over, man. I'm raising him from the dead. But he didn't walk into Eric Van Rees' funeral and raise him from the dead. See, he knew that we were all going to suffer, that we were all going to, in this world, you're going to have trouble. But he said, take heart. I've overcome the world. Why did he lay down his life for you? Simply for this, so that you could be with him and so that he could be with you. See, when Jesus sacrificed his life for you, all of us, without Jesus Christ, we are stuck on this planet going through all of our darkness and all of our sorrow and all of our sin and all of the destruction all by yourself because you're separated from God. And Jesus came to take away the sin that makes you in your very nature. It causes you to say no to God. And he wants to, he came to forgive you of all of your sin and to wipe it out and to reconcile you back to God. And the reason Jesus was willing to be a sacrifice is because he wanted your spirit to be united with his spirit so that you would never have another day on this planet where you have to go through the trouble of this life on your own. But instead, you would have the one who comes with truth, 
and who comes with tears and who comes in anger and who comes with sympathy, who comes with authority and who comes as a sacrifice. You guys, you never have to go through another hard thing alone. Can I just ask you, how many of you would like to know that the next time you get the news that you're gonna have cancer, the next time somebody rejects you, the next time a loved one leaves, the next time you're abused, the next time something horrific happens to you on this planet, that Jesus and his spirit is with you in the midst of it. Anybody want that? That is what he's offering you. And that's how we know what love is. Jesus loves you. And your spirit can now be joined with his by his blood, sacrificed on your behalf. He comes with authority, but he comes as a sacrifice. This is so interesting. John chapter 10, the chapter right before this story, look at what Jesus says. He goes, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. You guys, there is somebody right now who's seeking to destroy your marriage. There's somebody right now who's trying to destroy your life with all of your addictions. There's somebody right now who wants to rob you of all of your peace, who wants to create within you an anxious, angry, bitter person. And Jesus says, that person is real. And that's why he came. But then he says, but I have come so that you could have life and have it to the full. Man, I love that verse. And then he says, I'm the good shepherd. Look at this. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You know what's interesting? A guy came up to me afterwards, first service. This is such good insight. And he said, because you know what? The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And then after he totally messes with your life, he blames God. Don't even raise your hand. But how many of you get angry at God when bad things happen? And you know what? And the enemy's the one who caused it. And I'm telling you, this story lets you know it's not God to be angry at. Because Jesus looked at the situation, and out of his anger, he walked right into the tomb, and he said, let me show you who I am, and he raised Lazarus from the dead. That is who you need. And so in John chapter 10, verse 17, it says, the Father loves me, listen to Jesus, because I sacrifice my life so I may take it back again. Oh, this is so good. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily, for I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again. Isn't that cool? What was he saying? He's like, death is like, you do this, I'm taking you down. Jesus is like, bring it on, because I will lay down my life for my sheep because I love them. And when I die, it isn't going to be because you killed me. It's because I, out of my own will, gave up my life. Because I'm going to lay it down for you, and then I'm going to rise it up again. And here's what that means. That Jesus Christ is alive today. Today. To walk with you and to give you all the hope and all the peace and all the joy and all the strength that you need when you're in your darkest time. We can now live and have Christ in us. A God of truth 
and tears and anger and sympathy and authority. I'm telling you, you know, I know some people, when we get to this question, lots of times people are like, you know, why does this, God, why does he let me, why does God let this happen? This problem of evil and suffering is, is one of the top reasons that people don't believe in God. And I want to tell you, this is very important. When I'm in my darkest time, I need the truth. But truth doesn't always answer all my questions. It doesn't. But it lets me know this. You guys know this, right? You're going to have trouble. And there's more coming. There's no way to escape it. Jesus told us it's going to happen. And either you can go through your next tragedy all on your own, and it can freak you out, and you can numb it with your alcohol, and you can take more drugs, and you can flip on more porn to make you feel better. You can go shop for stuff. You can quibble. You can turn into an anxious, fearful, bitter, angry human being and lose your life. Or you can walk through it with Jesus, who says, I will walk through the valley of the shadow of death with you. He never says, I'll take you around it. But he says, I'll be your strength through it. You never have to go through this alone. And that's a God I want. So here we go. Daniel is going to come and sing a phenomenal song for us. And before he does, I simply want to read to you Romans chapter 8. You guys, if you've been around me long enough, you know I tell you, Romans 8, baby. This is the passage that I read over and over. There have been times in my darkest moment where I've read this over and over and over again because I need to know this. Look at this beautiful scripture. It says, you guys, we can know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, for those who have been called according to his purpose. If that's true, man, if God were, now, by the way, he doesn't say, I cause everything. He says, but I'll work in everything for the good. See, and this is why we need a God of truth. See, that's truth. Do you know that? Do you know he's the resurrection and the life? Do you know he has authority over death? Do you know that he can take everything that ever happens and work good out of it? See, I need a God of truth that lets me know that that's real. Because then you can say, what should we say in response to this? Oh my goodness, if God is for us, then who can be against us? Who, now listen to this, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? See, Jesus, he says, man, if you receive me, my spirit gets joined with yours. If that's true, then who can separate you from his love? Shall trouble, does that make him stop loving? or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? No! In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. See, he conquered the grave. He rose Lazarus up. They nailed him to the cross, and he rose up. And he's in you, man! He wants to be in you. No, we can be more than conquerors. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, 
neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth. Listen to this. Not, there isn't anything else in all of creation that will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. He's more powerful, more beautiful than anything that can come against us. And nothing can separate us from that. Sit on that. Think about that. Meditate on that. Relish on that truth that this is our God.